Now, I've, I've kind of heard it said that the older we get, the wiser we get. And I think there is truth in that statement. The more years of experience we have on the, the job uh, with life in general or in following the Lord, the more wisdom that we can actually accumulate. And it makes sense. And in many instances, it is true. But experience leading to wisdom isn't always true. Sometimes we get stuck in our ways. We don't learn from our past mistakes. We stop learning. We stop growing closer to Jesus. You know, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament was a, provides a great example. There were times where their years of experience certain di certainly didn't equate to greater wisdom. They often made the same mistakes over and over again. And even when God proved he was trustworthy, the Israelites didn't always trust. And I've also learned from watching others in my own personal experience that the older we get, the more opinionated we can become. In the Bethesda news that's coming out this week, I confess that I have become much more opinionated with age. Now, on one hand, my convictions run deeper, and, and I am more pro-life than ever, and I know and love Jesus more deeply than I did when maybe I was in my 20s or 30s. But on the other hand, my deeply seated opinions often have me arguing with newscasters on TV. And my wife has never said it to me, but I'm sure she's thought, Mark, do you really think those people on TV can hear you? And so being opinionated can be good or it can be bad, and the results often depend on how much wisdom we apply to our opinions. And with that basis, I want to share what is hopefully my wise opinion on a very popular church topic. And the topic is the general decline of church attendance in our country. And I actually believe there are three major reasons or major causes for that de decline. And these just aren't my beliefs. Some have come from people who are much more learned and wise than I am. But I do hope they represent wisdom and not simply the opinion of an older guy who really doesn't know what he's talking about. So with that in mind, here are three of the main reasons why I think church attendance is down in our country. And the, and the first one is that Christians look like culture. For example, the Gospel Coalition reports that roughly one-third of men who regularly attend church viewed pornography in the last year. Now, that's much lower than the national average, but it's still too high. The divorce rate for born-again Christians, again, is much lower than non-Christians, but depending on where you get your numbers, it can still be as high as 25%. Christians can be materialistic. We can be proud. We can be greedy. We have affairs. Premarital sex, we sometimes cuss. Some of us drink too much. And of course, we're not perfect. We are sinners. But sometimes those sins cause us to look exactly like the culture we live in. We're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to reflect the love 
and truth of Jesus to the world. And, and the fact is, is, if we don't look anybody anything different than anybody else, why would people want to join us in worshiping Jesus? For the second reason, explaining church decline, I'm relying on the wisdom of Tom Rainier. He's the former CEO of Lifeway Christian Resources. And Tom points out that people simply don't attend church every week like they used to in the past. He writes this, he says, if the frequency of attendance changes, then attendance will respond accordingly. And then he gives an example. He says, if 200 members attend every week, the average attendance is obviously 200, right? Then he goes on and he says, but if one half of those members miss only one out of four weeks, the attendance drops to 175. And did you catch that? Not anyone left the church. And everyone is still relatively active in the church. But attendance declined over 12% because half of the members changed their attendance behavior slightly. At the end of 2019, Bethesda, this church, had over, just over 180 active members. 180 active members. Didn't include shut-ins. Our average attendance was about 140. And so what that means was we were missing a little over 20% of our members every Sunday. And so church attendance goes down. And then the third reason I believe the church attendance and the number of people who claim to be Christians is down because our culture rejects the authority of Jesus. Jesus said he was the only way to the Father. He was the only way to be right, made right with God. He was the only way to heaven. Jesus is exclusive. If Jesus was only love and grace, think about it. Being a Christian then would be easy, wouldn't it? There would be no call to transformation. Life would be a meaningless party, and it might sound good, but it's a terribly empty life. Jesus is love and grace, but he's so much more. We're not saved by our goodness. We're not saved by our works righteousness. But once we're saved, we're called to follow the teachings of God's word, the, the Bible. And we can't pick and choose what we want to believe. We can't bend or shatter the truth to fit what culture says or what our own personal desires reflect. And I love this. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Culture challenges the Bible's authority in many ways. And three of those ways are the sanctity of human life, biblical marriage and sexuality, and then ex the exclusivity of Christianity. People walk away because they don't want to submit to God's authority. They want to walk their own way. If life is to have any meaning or any purpose, we must walk his way. We walk in the way of Jesus, the way God calls us to live. Now, before I go further, I want to say this. The church is strong. And the church will stand as long as she keeps her eyes on Jesus. A wise old man once said, he said, I've read the end of the book, and Jesus wins. Since Jesus wins, the church wins, and Christians win. 
It's also true, though, that people walked away from Jesus when he lived among us. In our scripture reading from John chapter 6, verse 60, many of the disciples said that Jesus' teaching was a hard saying. Who can listen to it? We might hear the same words today. Now, you might be wondering if those disciples that John mentioned in verse 60 were just the 12, but that's not who he was talking about. There were other people who John called disciples. They followed Jesus from place to place. They may have seen Jesus as a great teacher or a miracle worker, but they did not necessarily trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So there was a bigger group of, quote, disciples different from the twelve. And the hard sayings to which these disciples referred doesn't mean that Jesus' words were difficult to understand. Jesus wasn't teaching quantum physics, although I'm sure he could have. Jesus was speaking plainly, but his message was hard to accept. It didn't fit with what the people wanted to hear. And hard teachings like Jesus presents can separate those who truly believe in Jesus from those who don't. And, and much of Jesus' hard teachings are found in John chapter 6, 35 to 59. John 6, 35 to 59. These are the hard teachings that the people were referring to. I'd encourage you to read it this week. But I'll give you a kind of a quick summary of what went on in those verses. First, Jesus is God. He's the bread of life. And that means that Jesus is the life giver and sustainer. Those who the Father draws to Jesus will have eternal life. And Jesus is the one who grants eternal life. Jesus gave his life, he gave his flesh on the cross so you and I could have life. To believe in Jesus is to symbolically eat his flesh and drink his blood. And I know those are strange words, but they simply refer to our union, our being united in Christ. Jesus provides spiritual food that meets the needs of our soul. And Jesus is the Savior of the world. And the crowd couldn't accept Jesus' words because they saw Jesus. They even said it. He was the son of Joseph, a carpenter. They may have realized Jesus was a miracle worker, but Jesus being God... No way. And so the people grumbled. And many walked away. And yes, it still happens today. Some walk away from church. They walk away from Jesus. John 6, 66 stated this. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And they walked away partly because of their pride. These people were Jewish. They were God's chosen, chosen people. They likely believed they could save themselves. They knew their history. Moses was their man. Moses led the Israelites to the promised land. Through Moses, they had received manna from heaven. But Moses didn't provide the manna. God did. And then there's this guy, Jesus, who comes along, who makes statements to say that he's greater than Moses. And Jesus said that he is the true bread of life, the manna of life. And that was hard for them to accept. They would have done well to remember God's words through the prophet Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high, 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. It takes humility to admit that there is a sovereign God and that we don't always understand what he does and why he does it. Pride blinded their eyes to Jesus. They were a proud people just like many of us. And then pride actually leads to two other reasons that we mentioned for people walking away from Jesus, for people walking away from the church. Because of pride, people reject Jesus' exclusivity and his authority. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he said, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. They go to preachers, they go to churches that tell them what they want to hear. They reject biblical authority. Jesus said that he was the only way to the Father. Christianity, though, is open to all. Everyone is invited. But Christianity is also exclusive. You either believe in Jesus or you don't. He is either the only way to the, to the Father, the only way to be made right with God, or he isn't. There are no shades of gray. There is really only one way. And the truth is, is that Jesus is the only way. And that rubs people the wrong way. In our, in our world of over-the-top tolerance, we want to let everyone believe what they want. You know what? That's good. They can. But it doesn't mean that what they believe is right. It doesn't mean what they believe is true. Pastor Kyle Eidelman once said something like this. He said, if someone predicts their death and resurrection from the dead and they do it, you should believe what they say. And that's what Jesus did. And because of what Jesus did and who he is, he has all authority. In our passage, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, he was demonstrating his authority. When Jesus said, whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me, Jesus was demonstrating his authority. When Jesus said, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, he was demonstrating his authority. And sometimes people can't handle such absolute authority, and so they walk away. The, the wise thing to do is to walk his way. We walk in the way of our Savior. Jesus is the only way. He is exclusive. When, when many left Jesus, he said to the twelve, he said, do you want to go away as well? And, and what comes next was one of Simon Peter's, Peter, one of his shining moments. Peter answered Jesus. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Those words are on the screen for those of you here. Those are beautiful words. That is a beautiful confession of faith. Peter addressed Jesus as Lord. 
Now, Lord was a polite term of the time, but in the context of what Peter said next, Lord meant divine Lord. It meant God. And then Peter asked a, a addressed, uh, excuse me, then Peter asked a rhetorical question. He said, to whom shall we go? Peter had lots of options. Just like today, there were lots of religions and spiritual beliefs and people he could follow. But Peter knew Jesus was the only way. There was no other person worthy of Peter's devotion. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way to life. He's the only way to life. Peter said to Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. And I kind of wonder if Peter really understood the magnitude of what he said. You know, I, I can imagine Peter saying those words and going, did I really just say that? That was pretty good. And I think we've all had similar moments. I'm convinced that, convinced that when we utter such words of wisdom and truth, it's the Holy Spirit speaking through us. And that's a great thing. Peter resisted the unbelieving crowd. You know, the mob was walking away, and Peter and the other disciples were bold enough to stay. And Peter not only stayed with Jesus, he spoke up. He spoke clearly, and it was the truth. With all the unrest and the, the fear in America, people are speaking up. And that can be a very good thing. Unfortunately, though, the message isn't always clear. And sometimes that message isn't true. We live in a world that I find has so many mixed messages. For example, the officials of New York and other areas said churches could not gather to worship to limit the spread of the coronavirus. And yet those same officials applauded protests by thousands in the crowded seats, streets. There's been a great call to unity, to see all people as equal, deserving to be treated with dignity. And that's good, that's great, that's the way we should live. But many are saying and doing things that are serving to divide the country. And they're dividing it for their own personal, for their own personal agendas. The right of free speech is encouraged unless what is said goes against what the crowd wants to hear. For example, Drew Brees, the quarterback of the New Orleans Saints, made what I would call a very patriotic statement. He had a right to say it. It wasn't hateful, and still he was attacked for his words, so much so that he eventually apologized. In recent days, I've heard Jesus compared to our nation's protesters. The comparison states the protesters are fighting authorities, and Jesus fought the religious authorities. And Jesus did do that. But you have to remember that the crowds, kind of like the protesters of Jesus' day, they didn't approve of Jesus either. They stopped following him. And so we have to be careful. We can't say that Jesus is on my side, no matter where we're coming from. We have to be on Jesus' side. And to do so is to, do so is to stand for the truth, no matter what the authorities or the crowd says. 
Peter declared a foundational truth of Christianity. And it didn't please the religious authorities. It wasn't aligned with Rome. And it didn't sit well with the crowd. It's kind of out there on its own. And when the crowds were walking away, Peter was walking toward Jesus. Peter was saying what Paul made very clear in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Paul wrote this, he said, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in, in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in, in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The only way to life is believing the truth about Jesus, and that is the truth about Jesus. The truth states who Jesus is, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he is going to do. Peter said it this way. He said, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus was unlike any Holy One who preceded him. And there were some great people of faith, very holy people that preceded Jesus. Think of Abraham and Moses and David and Elijah and Daniel and Ruth and Esther and John the Baptist and so on. These were great holy men and women. But they were just men and women. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Commentator Richard Phillips actually pointed out something we might have missed in this passage. Peter said, we have believed and have come to know. Which came first? Believing appears to have come before understanding. Of course, Peter and the disciples had knowledge of Jesus. They had witnessed his miracles. They had heard Jesus teach but they didn't really fully understand who he was until after the resurrection. And still they believed. They had faith in Jesus. And you might be familiar with Hebrews chapter 11. It's known as kind of like the faith hall of fame. It's a great faith chapter. And in that chapter of the Bible, we read words like these. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. See, the people in that chapter of Hebrews 11, they believed without full knowledge. They believed before they received when you and I learn what Jesus did on the cross for us and that he rose again from the dead, we believe. And as we walk with Jesus over the years, we get to know him better. 
We read scripture, we pray, we go to church connection classes and community groups, and then we can look back at our life and we can see how Jesus was with us and walked us through some tough times and how he got us, how he rejoiced with us in great times. We grow in knowledge of Christ. We grow closer to Jesus. We grow in wisdom. As I studied this passage last week, something struck me that was always there in this passage, but I had never noticed. It was in Peter's confession. I'll read it again. It says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And this is what struck me. And these are just my words. This is my opinion. Peter's confession could be summarized as the only way to life is believing the truth about Jesus. Do you see it? For those of you in the room, I helped you see it because I highlighted it in the same colors. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so you and I are called to walk his way, the way of life and truth, the only way to the Father. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you first called us. We called, you called us to your Son. But then you called us to good works in his name. Lord, we live in challenging times. We still are battling a terrible virus. There is still a need for reconciliation and for racial equality. And Father, we also live in a time where people take things like viruses and things like protests and they use them for their own advantage. Father, help us to come back to you. Help us to realize that Jesus is the only way. He's the way to life. He is the way to you. Be with us each day. Let us be salt and life, light. Help us when people reject Jesus' authority. Help us to be the ones to show, us, show them why they should trust in Jesus and why they should submit to his authority. Father, we just pray for wisdom. We pray that you would guide us, that you would guard our hearts, that you would control our tongues.